0: I read all the best Bitcoin content out there so that you can listen. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read with Guy Swan. Bitcoin and the tyranny of time scarcity. This is what we are reading today Uh, Welcome back to the Crypto Economy Guys. I am uh, continuing through the Bitcoin Times uh, second edition. We have read, so far, Passion of the Believers uh, by Hass McCook, and then yesterday we read uh, Gigi's Bitcoin's Eternal Struggle. So I'll be releasing all of these, I think, as a single piece um, for the Bitcoin Times second edition. Um, And this is all uh, made available by Alex Svetsky and the team uh, at Amber. Um, So definitely be sure to uh, thank all of them for the amazing work and for uh, putting this stuff out there. Um, But again, this is Robert Breedlove's piece, Bitcoin and the Tyranny of Time Scarcity. The tyranny of time scarcity is ubiquitous in life. Here we will explore how mankind cooperates to resist this immortal tyrant using one of our most ancient social technologies, money, and why Bitcoin is bound to achieve global monetary dominance. A Tyrant of Time Immemorial All human action inescapably occurs within the bounds of time, As the universally shared element of experience, time is the grand paradox of nature. It heals all wounds, yet ultimately ravages all things. Each of us feels a current of time that is totally impersonal. In a ruthlessly egalitarian manner, time flows equally for rich and poor, sick and healthy, young and old alike. The temporal flows we experience cannot be reproduced, Reversed or stopped? At an intrapersonal level, our allotment of time is as scarce as our lifespan is limited. Interpersonally, time scarcity manifests as the total time we can collectively allocate towards serving one another. Whether we are making goods, providing services, or gaining knowledge, we have but a finite quantity of hours to commit towards our efforts. In this sense, Time scarcity is the immortal tyrant subjugating all of us mortals. Only through cooperative action can we break free of the restraints time scarcity clasps upon us. Society is the sum total of cooperative actions taken, a social order that is paradoxically shaped by competition among its constituents, free people. Actions intent on improving our relationship with nature, which enhance our quality of life by saving us time, necessarily involve the use of natural resources. If one seeks to dig ditches faster, he will first need to construct a shovel, a tool that requires wood from a felled tree, refined metal ore, and expertly shaped screws to hold the earth-shattering device together. Since the earth we share is physically finite, its natural resources are inherently scarce, and we must each compete to earn our own fair share. In a world that is as physically abundant as our ingenuity will allow, it is ultimately only our finite time that constrains us from producing more of anything we want. Existing under the ubiquitous tyranny of time scarcity, It's natural for animals to adopt more energy-efficient means of satisfying their wants. The law of conservation of energy mass is the first law of thermodynamics, an inviolable principle of the universe that organisms, lazily and cleverly, follow to the letter. Predators in the wild frequently make expected value calculations when deciding whether or not the anticipated energy expenditure in pursuit of a particular prey is worth the caloric value of the meal. Should the hunt be successful, most hunts have low chances of success. Even herbivores like koala bears economize their physical movements to maximize their consumption of eucalyptus leaves per exertion. Of course, these decisions are not likely based on any mathematical knowledge, but rather on instinct. Similarly, driven by an instinct to overcome the oppression of time scarcity... Us humans have always found ways to uncover and extract ever more natural resources as we hunt for satisfactions to our wants. We have literally just scratched the surface as our efforts haven't even taken us halfway into the Earth's crust, its tiniest and outermost layer. Through generations of trial and error, with our collective learnings accumulated in heuristics, written knowledge, and methodologies, Mankind has steadily economized his productive efforts, gradually making more and more use of his time. The fruits of our labor are evident. The price of all natural resources in terms of time necessary to produce them has steadily decreased over the long run as technological advancements continually increase our productivity. Our capacity to produce the greatest results with the least effort Metal prices over the past two centuries are a testament to this. Evancing the simple truth of mankind's ever-rising productivity is gold. As the annual new supply flow of this extremely rare metal remains steady, it makes no sense to consider other natural resources, which are less rare than gold, as scarce in any practical sense. Indeed, only time scarcity truly constrains our creative output. In this sense, time, both individually and collectively, is our most precious and scarce resource. Each of us seek to extend and savor our time on earth. As a population, we strive to economize our actions and increase our productivity to attain the greatest results possible with minimal use of time and effort. Indeed, the purpose of the world economy is to accelerate our collective productivity gains Through innovation and trade, in a term, to gain energy efficiency, our sole emancipator from the hardships imposed by time scarcity. Trade interconnects us. Acts of trade, or interpersonal exchange, interconnect us into economic networks which increase our productivity by virtue of our inherent comparative advantages, a diversity of skills, experience, and know-how that arises naturally among us. Trade allows us to focus on our comparative advantages and become ever more specialized in our skills over time. This positive-sum game undergirds all economic activity. By working as a cooperative ensemble, we become more productive than we would be working as isolated individuals. Our economic interdependence makes us collectively more productive and prosperous. This cooperative dynamic is commonly called the division of labor, and the general purpose of society is to foster an environment which favors its proliferation. The division of labor enables each of us to concentrate on what we do best and increases our collective productivity, meaning it lets us produce the same amount in less time or a greater amount in the same time. Alternatively, we can choose to use these newfound time savings to innovate. Innovation involves the creation of tools and technologies to help us do even more in less time. For example, digging with a shovel instead of by hand. As innovative new tools and ideas become diffused into society through trade, more time savings are generated. And this process becomes recursive into a self-reinforcing, virtuous cycle with no known natural limit. Better tools and technologies lead to improved productivity, which leads to more time savings, which leads to more investment of time savings in innovation, which allows for the trading of tools and ideas, and leads to better tools and technologies. And on it continues. By specializing, trading, and innovating, societies create a literal wealth of time savings that can be spent productively or leisurely. By spending time savings productively, societies create wealth, the accumulation of time saved in the form of capital. Anything that economizes human action, tools, knowledge, or even relationships is considered capital, as it provides a way for us to more quickly satisfy our wants. Said simply, as we become more productive, we accumulate more capital, a form of frozen time savings. In this respect, we have come a long way over the past two centuries. Chart of the world GDP from 1820 to 2016 in billions of 1990 international dollars. In 1820, it was 694 In 1870, it was 1,102. In 1913, it was 2,705. In 1950, it was 5,336. In 1998, it was 33,726. And in 2016, it was 75,870. Money. Mankind's Masterwork Money is the most marketable or readily exchangeable capital in an economy. It is the most liquid measure of time savings, a social chronometer of sorts. Money is the technology we use to measure and move the value of our time savings across time and space. The primary function of money is to store value meaning that it must, at a minimum, retain its own exchange value across time. Naturally, as our collective productivity increases, the value of money rises in tandem, and prices expressed in it decline. The secondary function of money is to mediate exchange, meaning that it can be exchanged for anything in the marketplace, goods, services, or knowledge. Money is sought by all seeking to trade their way into satisfying personal wants. This includes everyone that isn't entirely self-sufficient. The tertiary function of money is to quantify exchange ratios, meaning it is used to denominate prices across the minds of market participants. Consider how we think in dollars or in our local currency when deciding whether and how much to buy or sell of anything in the marketplace Interestingly, this unit-of-account function of money is so deeply etched into our mental machinery that it actually changes how we think and perceive the world. Besides these three functions, monetary technologies generally exhibit the following traits. 1. Scarcity. Resistance to money supply manipulations and thus dilutions to its monetary unit value. Difficult to produce. 2. Divisibility, ease of accounting and transacting at various scales, separable and combinable units. 3. Portability, ease of moving value across space, high value to weight ratio. 4. Durability, ease of moving value across time, resilient to deterioration. And 5. Recognizability, ease of identifying and verifying the monetary value by other parties in a transaction, universally identifiable and verifiable. Whatever good is most impervious to the depredations of time, transference, and greed is naturally selected as money. The monetary technology selected freely in a marketplace is referred to as hard money. A haven for liquid value, exchangeable time savings, that resists the ravages of time, damages related to transference across space, and intentional misappropriations by those vicious two-legged apes, people. In these respects, monetary metals have been historically superior due to their durability and portability making them ideal for storing value across time and space, respectively. With the advent of coinage, which standardized each monetary unit, the divisibility and recognizability traits of these metals were greatly enhanced. Critically, the scarcity of monetary metals is governed by natural laws that are beyond the control of man, making their supplies mostly resistant to greedy manipulations. Gold became and remains the prime monetary metal of the world precisely because of its superior relative scarcity. Historically, it has been the best reflector of absolutely scarce time. Gold is the hardest monetary metal to produce, and nearly every ounce ever mined remains part of its extant supply today, as it is chemically an ultra-stable element. Taken in combination, these properties made gold the best medium for storing value across time, as its supply is the most resistant to change, and therefore the most inflation-resistant. By providing sufficient monetary characteristics, divisibility, portability, durability, recognizability, coupled with superior physical scarcity, gold was naturally selected as money on the free market. Hard money. With a low reproducibility and physical scarcity most closely aligned with the absolute irreproducibility and scarcity of time, gold has been the most credible store of value historically. Which explains why freely acting individuals have hoarded it for centuries. More technically, gold's superior stock-to-flow ratio makes it more resistant to supply inflation and its corollary, monetary value dilution than all other monetary technologies prior to the invention of Bitcoin. Game time. To understand gold's ascent, we must realize the actions of people in free markets are driven by game theory. In game theoretic terms, a game is any situation in which people can win or lose, as is the case in markets. A strategy is just process for making decisions. Game theory is applicable in any domain where people must decide whether to cooperate or compete. For instance, if you and I are being chased by a bear, my decision to run or fight is not based on how fast I am, but rather how fast I think you are. Game theoretically, I only need to be faster than you, not the bear, to ensure my survival. Such assessments of interpersonal dynamics are also closely related to economics and monetary evolution. In the context of monetary evolution's relationship with time, free market participants choose hard money over all other monetary technologies because its resistance to supply increases most closely reflects the immutable flow of time. No matter how much time was allocated to gold production— Its supply resisted inflation more than any other monetary metal, causing people to coalesce around its use as a superiorly sound store of value. In game theory terms, gold production became the Nash Equilibrium, a game state in which everyone follows the same strategy because there is no advantage to be gained by switching to any other strategy. So long as people sought to maximize their freedom from time scarcity by accumulating capital, collectively produced more than they consumed, and accomplished these goals through trade, gold remained the best proxy for the scarcest economic resource. Time. Unicity of Time and Money. Time is the only irreversible element in existence. Its directionality is imparted by the ever-growing entropy of the universe, as defined by the second law of thermodynamics. This thermodynamic arrow of time, which points us into an increasingly chaotic universe, is, in fact, the only irreversible aspect of reality. Every other natural process is symmetrical, making it impossible to discern whether an event is unfolding forward or backward in time. As such, this universally objective and unidirectional flow of time provides our purest reference point for all values. Of the seven key metrics maintained by the International System of Units and Measures, six are rooted in the time it takes light to move through a vacuum. Gold, then, as the most difficult commodity to produce, no matter how much time was allocated towards its extraction, served as the best market proxy for the objective purity of ever-flowing time. It is commonly said that time is money, but few realize that the reciprocal is also true. Money is time. Beyond relative irreproducibility, hard money exhibits other properties akin to the natural flow of time. Markets naturally optimize for a hard money that is as impersonal irreversible and unstoppable as the flow of time to which it is anchored and which it is intended to epitomize in the marketplace. As hard money arises naturally as the result of countless market interactions in which individuals seek to trade their goods for steadily more exchangeable goods, it is inherently beyond the control of any single individual, nation, or central bank. This makes hard money apolitical and impersonal. It cannot be used to benefit any one group over another. In other words, hard money tends to be politically neutral, like time. Hard money is also equity-based, meaning that physically possessing gold as an asset, for instance, is 100% equity and 0% debt, a bearer asset. This makes payments in gold immune to reversal, unlike those made with monopolistically imposed debt-based monies called fiat currencies, which are liable to the whims of bureaucrats who can choose to confiscate, censor, or deauthorize fiat currencies at any time for any reason. Finally, hard money is unstoppable, in the sense that if I flip you a gold coin, there is no single authority on earth that can block or devalue that transaction. Hard money, like gold, derives its value from freely acting individuals choosing the best monetary technology available to them. Sacred Sovereignty All right, I'm definitely going to need a drink, so uh, let's go ahead and hit our sponsor real quick, and we'll jump back in on this section. Sacred Sovereignty Bearer assets, like gold, offer another significant advantage. Each individual unit is self-sovereign. Sovereignty refers to the freedom to take action as one sees fit. As Rousseau said, Man is born free, and everywhere he is in chains. The struggle of history has been the need for flexible coordination of human action on a large scale against the usurpation of individual sovereignty that the institutions built for this purpose typically impose. Paradoxically, as mankind pursued large-scale mobilization of his efforts to overcome the natural tyranny of time scarcity, he gave birth to an artificial tyrant that engorges itself by consuming our individual sovereignty. The government and its apparatus of thievery Central Banking True sovereignty originates at the individual level. It naturally reigns when our individual expressions, whether verbal or financial, are unmanipulable by others. When a government censors your speech or a central bank devalues your dollar, it is a violation of your individual sovereignty. Let no one prevent you from speaking your mind or spending your time and money as you see fit. We are each our own supreme ruler. Sovereign. The word sovereign is derived from the Latin adjective super or above and the Latin noun regnum, rulership or control. Thus, sovereign means, quote, one who is above the rulership or control of another. Sovereign means not a subject or a slave. Repeat, not a slave. Gold is a self-sovereign bearer asset whose credibility and value as money is derived from the combined sovereignty of countless self-interested individuals exercising free choice in the marketplace. When a good gains value on the free market, it is the result of market participants finding it useful making sacrifices for it and thereby imbuing it with part of their individual sovereignty. Since gold achieved dominance on the free market as a result of countless, quote, votes in the form of self-interested trade decisions by a faceless multitude across history, it can be considered the monetary materialization of popular sovereignty, the founding principle of Western civilization. We the people. Although it's an ancient monetary technology, gold still forms the prime monetary sovereignty layer of Earth as it underpins all governmental sovereignty. In turn, governments use this power to monopolize the market for money via their central bank henchmen and insulate fiat currencies from direct monetary competition. Such insulation is the only way debt-based monies can survive alongside hard money. Gold and other bearer assets are final extinguishers of debt, as payments in them carry no associated liability. Modern central banks still perform final settlement exclusively in gold and actively engage in market machinations to suppress its price. See gata.org, a testament to the primacy of this ancient monetary metal. Den of Thieves Despite this misappropriation of gold sovereignty by government for its own self-seeking purposes, fiat currency is no longer anchored to gold, making it highly reproducible at near zero cost. Indeed, fiat currency is the softest form of money in history, and it can, and in virtually all cases does, suffer from counterparty risks such as censorship, deauthorization, or hyperinflation. Hard money is anchored in the reality of time to secure the time savings of its holders. Fiat currency is a political tool that facilitates the institutionalized system of time theft, known as expansionary monetary policy, perpetrated by central banks globally. Although governments legally compel us to use fiat currencies today, these rules are only enforceable due to their vampirism, The sucking of sovereignty out of gold holdings. Ironically, this stolen power is used to monopolize violence and silence dissent. Government sovereignty, then, is derived from the agglomerated self sovereignty of its gold hoards, which, in combination with the anti competitive artifices it erects, legal tender laws, capital controls, capital gains taxes, etc., in the sphere of money explains why gold has been confiscated and its private ownership outlawed repeatedly throughout history. Under Executive Order of the President, issued April 5, 1933, all persons are required to deliver on or before May 1, 1933 all gold coin, gold bullion, and gold certificates now owned by them to a Federal Reserve Bank, branch, or agency or to any member bank of the Federal Reserve System. There is only one reason for such confiscatory acts, governments grasping for more power, a means to usurp gold's self-sovereignty, an embezzlement of power which itself originates in the actions of free people selecting a monetary technology in the marketplace, a tragedy at the heart of all modern economies. As the axiom says, Whoever has the gold makes the rules. Permit me to issue and control the money of a nation, and I care not who makes its laws. Mayor Amschel Rothschild. Prime Money In this sense, gold is prime money, as its physical possession underpins the sovereignty of governments which misappropriated to enforce central bank money production monopolies on free people. Paradoxically, it was the actions of free people that generated the sovereignty that is now wielded against them by governments and central banks. This, quote, duopoly of monopolists has proclaimed time and time again that gold is irrelevant, a mere monetary artifact, and that they alone will lead the world economy to a brighter future. Ignore anti-gold propaganda. Just watch their actions. Chart titled, Central Banks Continue Gobbling Up Gold. A chart of the past two decades showing the sales and increasing net purchases of gold by the major central banks around the world. Although gold resisted supply manipulation in many ways, it is far from perfect. Through the London gold pool and other machinations, seriously, see GATA, G-A-T-A dot org, central banks cornered the market on gold, enabling them to surreptitiously suppress its price and better insulate fiat currency, soft money, from direct competition with gold, hard money. Market manipulation like this is only possible because of our passivity, In surrendering our sovereignty to unaccountable institutions like central banks, we cede conscious control over most aspects of our lives. Remember, central banks engaged in expansionary monetary policy are actively stealing time from free people. As they increase money supplies, they reallocate claims on productive capital from the majority to a politically favored few. This parasitism on the savings of society extends the working lives of most of the citizenry. In this way, monetary inflation is a direct violation of private property rights and individual sovereignty. It is worth repeating. Human action is the essence of sovereignty. It is our actions that instill institutions with this divine quality intrinsic to free people. Let us all exercise the utmost vigilance in deciding which institutions to empower with our sacred sovereign energies.: quote, "institutional structures are legitimate insofar as they enhance the opportunity to freely inquire and create out of inner need. otherwise, they are not,"." End quote. Noam Chomsky on anarchism. Hard Money Renaissance Against this usurpation of our individual sovereignty by government, we find hope in the emergence of a modern innovation called the Internet, the universal exchange engine for knowledge. The Internet has already democratized and disintermediated many aspects of our lives, from lodging and transportation to media distribution and commerce. Compositionally, the Internet is a set of open-source protocols known as the Internet Protocol Suite for permissionlessly moving information worldwide in an instant. Constructed in a free-market manner through years of cooperation and standardization efforts, the Internet is the greatest knowledge network in history. Today, we all benefit from this readily accessible library of human knowledge. As Milton Friedman so aptly pointed out in 1999, about 10 years before the invention of Bitcoin, the one thing the internet lacked was a secure, private e-cash. Quote, The one thing that's missing, but that will soon be developed, is a reliable e-cash, a method whereby on the internet you can transfer funds from A to B without A knowing B or B knowing A. End quote. Friedman's prescience proved astonishingly accurate. Coming into the 21st century, we had two key inceptors for digital hard money. Gold, the ancient and prevailing monetary sovereignty layer, representing an unmanipulable money supply, and the Internet, the ultimate engine of exchange, representing global interconnectivity or liquidity. By combining and building upon the economic properties of both, Bitcoin is a momentous monetary innovation that has achieved the divisibility, portability, durability, and recognizability of pure information infused with the absolute scarcity of time. As the Internet gives us freedom to express and absorb ideas without obstruction, Bitcoin gives us the freedom to express and receive value in a hard money that cannot be stopped. In this sense, Bitcoin is the latest evolutionary layer of the Internet Protocol suite, a quantum leap over the monetary Nash equilibrium that gold represented. Historically, gold has become more difficult to extract with the passage of time due to chemistry, physical rarity, and game theory. Gold is the ancient anchor to the prime economic reality of time scarcity, precisely why it remains the prime money of modernity. Time is the most objective measure for our intersubjective or opinion-based valuations, as it is the one unarguable aspect of existence. In a society run on hard money, price levels naturally decline over time, as our productivity grows in tandem with the division of labor. Put another way, hard money tends to appreciate over time as human knowledge becomes more specialized. In this way, increases in the value of hard money reflect how far humanity has liberated itself from time scarcity. Liquidity of Time and Information Conceptually, then, Money is both frozen time as a means of storing time savings and liquid time as a means of exchanging time savings. We earn money by sacrificing our intrapersonal time and can trade it for commensurate sacrifices from others. As such, anyone that gains control over a money supply and can manipulate it at will can steal time savings directly from the users of its money Via the shadow tax of inflation. To shed light on the true nature of fiat currency in one line, let's call it like it is a pyramid scheme built atop gold that is subject to unlimited supply inflation. Since it bears repeating, inflation is intrapersonal time theft, a legally enforced injustice. Quote, Inflation is probably the most important single factor in that vicious circle wherein one kind of government action makes more and more government control necessary. For this reason, all those who wish to stop the drift toward increasing government control should concentrate their effort on monetary policy. End quote. Friedrich August von Hayek. Manipulation of money supplies has other consequences. Money is an economy's main informational utility, a touchstone to measure the value of time savings or spending expected to be made possible by an economic good in the future. When a money supply is manipulated, the objectivity of its measurement ability is compromised. This breakdown of money's informational utility is called price signal distortion. Such manipulation makes economic calculation less reliable and causes entrepreneurs to overborrow, misallocate capital, and ultimately degenerates time savings as capital is consumed instead of being compounded through reinvestment. Price signals provide a system for market participant telecommunications and can be explained as follows. Quote, Understanding Price Signals Knowledge Due to its dynamic and fluid nature, cannot be fully known by a single entity, as it is constantly in flux and widely distributed within many minds. In a free market economic system, prices capture this distributed knowledge, convert it into impartial information, and disseminate it widely. Price signals are the coordinating force of free market systems. Each individual decision-maker can faithfully rely on the prices of goods relevant to their production process, as the prices themselves are a distillation of all known market realities into a single, actionable variable. Each individual's buy and sell decisions in turn further shape prices, which carry this altered information back out into the market. Price signals are to market participants What light is to the eye? To understand this point, consider the 2010 earthquake which badly damaged an area in Chile responsible for a great deal of the world's copper production. This earthquake severely damaged copper mines and export infrastructure, which immediately reduced the flow of new supply to the world copper market and resulted in a 6.2% increase in its price Anyone in the world whose business interfaces with the copper market will be affected by this. They do not need any specific knowledge about the earthquake in Chile or market conditions to decide how to respond. All the relevant information they need to make effective decisions is contained within the price of copper itself. Immediately, all firms that demand copper are incentivized to demand less, delay purchases, or find substitutes. On the other side of the market, all firms that produce copper are incentivized to produce more of it. With a natural shift in price, everyone in the world involved in the copper industry is incentivized to act in a way that alleviates the negative consequences of the earthquake. This is the power of a free market with accurate price signals. End quote. Price signals are the navigational instruments for entrepreneurs sailing the tempestuous seas of markets, and money is the medium through which these signals propagate. Said another way, money is a measurement system for value, a temporal quality, in the same way a ruler is for length, a spatial quality. The less elastic the supply of money is, the better it fulfills this purpose. If you are measuring a table with a ruler that you cannot trust, then you can't be sure whether you're measuring the table or the ruler. You cannot distinguish the signal, the actual length, from the noise, changes in the unit of measurement. Gold outcompeted historically because of its relative supply inelasticity, which made it both the best store of value and conveyor of price signals. Uniquely, Bitcoin is a money with perfect supply inelasticity. It is the most uncompromising measuring system for value the world has ever known. In this sense, Bitcoin is like an inviolable ruler, a perfectly objective unit of measurement for the endless variations of market values. Therefore, the more closely a money supply is credibly congruent, with the absolute scarcity of time, the better it communicates the time savings generated by our collective productivity gains. In this way, both gold and Bitcoin share the same principle attractiveness. They are more closely reflective of the impersonal, irreproducible, irreversible, unstoppable, and absolutely scarce nature of the experiential element money is intended to symbolize in the marketplace. Time. Temporal Anchorage. When money is disconnected from time scarcity, as fiat currency is, its skin in the game is compromised and the economies it facilitates start suffering from distorted price signals, malinvestments, recessions, and an exacerbated boom-and-bust business cycle. As with most systems, money requires skin in the game to function properly, meaning that money must be costly to produce. Otherwise, those who can produce it cheaply will do so to steal the value of time savings stored therein, as central banks do. For gold, the costs associated with mining provide this critical skin-in-the-game characteristics. For bitcoin, an ingenious composite of -of proof-of-work energy expenditure, skin-in-the-game, and economic incentives, game theory, enabled it to digitize scarcity. In this sense, Bitcoin's blockchain is like a bridge between physical and digital reality, the first incarnation of a digital asset with provable scarcity. An innovative amalgamation of open-source software and behavioral economics, Bitcoin was designed to be a monetary network that reproduces itself relentlessly. Graphic of the Bitcoin value loop Bitcoin price rises Mining becomes more profitable More capital expenditure goes into mining Bitcoin's network becomes more secure Demand as a store of value rises Bitcoin's price rises And so on From this perspective, the value of mining both gold and Bitcoin is the unforgeable costliness of that each represents, a measure of the time sacrificed in production, which is redeemable for the time of others. Imbued with digital scarcity, Bitcoin preserves the advantages offered by gold's physicality, self-sovereignty, irreversible transactions, final settlement, while eliminating its disadvantages, ease of confiscation, expensive safeguarding, high settlement costs, Digitization also makes Bitcoin a weightless, intangible, and potentially everlasting monetary technology. As a totally impersonal and self-sovereign monetary network capable of adopting market-proven features from competitors over time, while simultaneously resisting changes that negatively impact its users, Bitcoin may be the last evolution we ever see in global prime money. Gold is the pristine collateral which underpins the entirety of the highly levered fiat currency financial complex. Bitcoin is poised to become the foundation for an entirely new economic order. Monetary Horizons In the near future and for the first time in history, the world will have a money that is harder to produce than gold. A fixed supply of 21 million units makes Bitcoin absolutely scarce. A property never before achieved by anything other than time itself. In the same way that Galileo's invention of the telescope led to discoveries that reoriented our relationship with space, so too has the invention of Bitcoin led to the discovery of absolute scarcity a bewildering breakthrough that perfectly parallels and will forever change mankind's relationship with time. Soon, in accordance with its perfectly predictable issuance schedule, Bitcoin will become the scarcest liquid asset in human history. At this point, Bitcoin will become the monetary technology most closely aligned with the absolutely scarce nature of time. From there... Every block produced will asymptotically further perfect this alignment until the last Bitcoin is mined in the mid 22nd century. The supreme divisibility, portability, durability, recognizability, and scarcity characteristics of Bitcoin constantly increase the likelihood, via the Lindy effect, that it will continue to outcompete gold and fiat currencies in its long climb toward becoming global prime money. Bitcoin, with a supply more closely aligned with the prime economic reality of time scarcity, is slowly but surely undermining gold's role as prime money. The word undermine literally means to dig under fortifications to collapse them. In this sense, Satoshi designed Bitcoin to dig deeper into reality than gold, and in doing so, undermine its role as prime money by more closely mirroring the fundamental nature of time. As a result, the value of fiat currencies will also diminish as gold slips from its position of primacy. Temporal Metaphor Time is the ultimate experiential element we all share. It is ruthlessly egalitarian, flowing equally for all alike. Time is our objective anchor in a world of ceaselessly shifting intersubjective valuations. Abstractly, money is our metaphor for time. As a tool, it best serves mankind when its supply is as inelastic as the absolute scarcity of time. Here, gold does well. Yet Bitcoin, the first money with a supply that is absolutely scarce, reflects time perfectly. Money is the medium through which many minds become one. It is the coordinating mechanism of human action. Money matters because only through cooperation and innovation do we mortals gain ground in our struggle against the immortal tyrant of time scarcity. Perhaps one day to be regarded as the most impactful technology ever invented, Bitcoin is simply a tool for saving time. It stores the value created from our time spent serving one another, reduces the time needed to establish trustful coordination, and it protects our mutually generated time savings from confiscation. Furthermore, Bitcoin promises to reduce the money, capital, and life wasted in warfare. Bitcoin accomplishes this by transcending laws and outcompeting money production monopolies, which use taxation via inflation to stealthily fund perpetual warfare. As Ron Paul said, quote, "It is no coincidence that the century of total war coincided with the century of central banking." End quote. Bitcoin also promises to help generate even more time savings by deepening the division of labor, a direct result of financial disintermediation the benefits of which flow to everyone. Finally, Bitcoin encourages us to adopt lower time preferences and think long-term. Hard money incentivizes us to save and invest, and disincentivizes excessive debt and spending, since it naturally appreciates over time as our collective productivity grows. Fiat currency is the reverse. It pushes up our time preferences and disintegrates societies. As the repeated fall of ancient civilizations shows, monetary integrity and social cohesion are inexorably linked. Breaking the Chains Bitcoin belongs in a certain class of momentous innovations, like antiseptics, electricity, or the Internet, that either extend our lifespans individually or or enhance our productivity and, therefore, our time savings collectively. These innovations expand our relationship with time in one or more ways, extending life expectancies, lowering time preferences, or enhancing productivity. Bitcoin promises to contribute to all three by being the best self-sovereign savings technology in history, reducing death tolls and capital destruction from warfare, by financially starving governments, incentivizing savings and investment in innovation, and accelerating our productivity gains by reducing artificial and arbitrary trade frictions. Bitcoin has the potential to bend the grand arc of human history back towards a free market paradigm. Bitcoin is doing this in the market for money and its underlying technology may one day be applied to other markets like equities, bonds, and real estate. Going forward, Bitcoin promises to further liberate us from the clutches of time scarcity, eliminate time theft via inflation, reinvigorate individual sovereignty, and as a cumulative result, radically increase social scalability worldwide. As Alfred North Whitehead said, quote, it is a profoundly erroneous truism repeated by all copybooks and by eminent people when they're making speeches that we should cultivate the habit of thinking about what we're doing. The precise opposite is the case. Civilization advances by extending the number of important operations which we can perform without thinking about them. End quote. As we continue our endless contentions with time scarcity, Government-authorized money monopolies remain a scourge on our humanity. Central banking, an institution of monetary socialism and systemized time theft, has repeatedly wounded our individual sovereignty, time preferences, and freedoms throughout history. We mortals must break the shackles of this oppressive institution and focus our energies on innovating against time scarcity, the immortal tyrant. In doing so, we will create a world in which our children, their children, and all future generations are born able to live totally self-sovereign lives, forever free from the chains of governmental tyranny. By Robert Breedlove, October 2019. And that concludes Breedlove's Bitcoin and the Tyranny of Time Scarcity. I'm actually going to read the uh, little uh, disclaimer or uh, just a little blip about the Bitcoin Times uh, Edition 2, just because it's posted at the end of all of these articles, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And uh, so I want to go ahead and hit that. Uh, The Bitcoin Times Edition 2 is the collaborative work of eight writers and one designer with the intent to educate, inspire, and spread ideas on Bitcoin. Each section will be released on Medium as a free long form article and the full compiled version of the Bitcoin Times will be available for free at the link below. In 2020, we'll release a limited edition hardcover collectible for purchase, which you'll be notified of by email if you download the free PDF. If you found value in this or any of the other essays and articles, please support each of the contributors by sharing it out and following their work. Download the full guide at The Bitcoin Times. Uh, Soon to be updated to bitcointimes.news, the... The link currently, I believe, is to a uh, sites.google.com thing. Let me check on this just to be, yeah, 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 it's a specific to um, this one, which should be moving to bitcointimes.news, but I highly recommend throwing in your email so you can get a PDF. I still did not figure out if I had actually gotten one of these yet. Um, I've just been reading them all on Medium, but I'll check in on that later. Uh, Before we do this, I know this episode has gotten really long, but there is actually a lot I want to say about this piece. Uh, So let's go ahead and take another break real quick. This is this has already been a two day endeavor to get this episode out uh, and we'll jump into some commentary. All right. Be right back. I tell you what, I don't know where they I guess they get their their read medium gets their read estimates um, based on uh, reading it silently to yourself. Um, but damn it, if you don't have to basically double the amount of time they have up there for an actual uh, audio read like this. Um, but uh, this was another great piece, particularly if you haven't heard this concept before. This is an incredibly good breakdown of so many of the main elements of this argument of the the concept of what money is actually a. Um, a measure for what what it actually serves as a role in its econ- in in the economy, and why it emerged, like why it's a technology in the first place. Where did it come from? Why does it exist? Uh, and if you haven't listened to it, I know I've rebooted it recently, but I, I also know that I'm continually getting a bunch of new listeners here. Um, so if you haven't listened to it, please go back and listen to "Shelling Out: The Origins of Money" by Nick Zabo. There's uh, a lot of key concepts that this piece goes into, the tyranny of time scarcity, um, that are basically elaborated on or um, kind of originate from that piece. Um, And there's so much to go into. And I believe it's the third section of the Bitcoin Standard or, of course, Money, Bitcoin and Time by Robert Breedlove, which we've also covered on the show, um, that really gets into these concepts even deeper. Um, And... I uh, this is always like a really just a really cool concept to me, and I've I've saved a bunch of uh, like I highlighted a bunch of stuff in the uh, article that I kind of want to hit uh, some thoughts on. So let's go ahead and jump into this. Um, uh, first, the uh, and I'll actually come back to this a little bit later, but the quote: "Naturally, as our collective productivity increases, the value of money rises in tandem, and prices expressed in it decline." So what does this tell us about our own economy? Like this is because money is supposed to be just a representation, it's a proxy for a measure of something else. And uh I didn't actually save it, but there's uh, one quote somewhere in there where he talks about um how how the the value of something, or the value of a good or the value of some some sort of production is actually uh, much better measured in the amount of time you're providing someone else, like how much time savings you give to someone else, um, and that makes an amazing amount of sense. And it, and it goes, it flies right in the face of the whole, the whole Communist Manifesto, the Marx like labor theory of value, and all these things, which clearly isn't true. There's basic examples that you can come up with that make that theory utter garbage. Um, in in no time, it's shocking almost that 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 theory or that uh. That concept has lasted so long, despite being so simple to prove wrong, is that just because somebody does something, just because somebody works at something makes, does not mean in any way that it is valuable. Like I could, if I dig a hole, a big, annoying hole in the middle of your yard, you don't value it just because it took a long time for me to do it. And it's not more valuable because I used a shovel than it is because I used a tractor and did it in an hour. Um, like, it, it, the the labor theory of value makes absolutely no sense in the context of the j- just the sheer obviousness that value is subjective. You might actually want a hole. Maybe you want a pool, and I've done half the work for you already. Maybe you don't want a pool. You want a nice, grassy, green, you know, hobbit-esque yard, and I have just completely ruined it for you. Now, you, now it's, not only is it not valuable in any way, it's a huge cost. It's a giant burden. I just, I just produced negative value for you. You hate me for this. So like, obviously, uh, value is subjective and it doesn't make any sense for this. And that's why time is actually a better example because in the, in the context of the, here, just a Example I just pulled out of my ass. In the context of the pool, I've saved you time. In the context of your goal of a nice hobbit green (laughs) uh, uh, backyard, I've completely added to the amount of time it takes for you to reach your goal. Um, And has completely irrespective of the amount of time I spent on it, maybe I have a big machine to just scoop something out with the pool and uh, I spent two years digging the big giant hole to ruin your nice green backyard. Um, but one is uh, the, the quicker and simpler one that is simply getting you closer to your goal is the only one that's valuable in this scenario. And doesn't matter if it took a hell of a lot less work than the other one, it's the one that you subjectively value. Um, what, what, is this, what is this concept? If, if this is where value come f- comes from, if um, uh, in, in a natural state of sound money, which sound money is a emergent technology. So when you leave the market to its own devices, it does not pick a gradual inflation rate. It does not pick a like slow theft because, you know, we need to incentivize spending like none of that happens naturally. What has happened naturally? Sound money. Good savings,, reliable, a reliable hedge against uncertainty. That's another concept that we've talked about uh, digging into some of the pieces uh, uh, from the Mises Institute about um, I think it's Rothbard, I think, that actually has I think it's Rothbard um, that really goes into the idea that money is the ultimate hedge against uncertainty, which is another which is one of those factors of time that are uncontrollable. Um, I think that fits very well with this concept. Um, is it's the one good that doesn't deteriorate. It's the one good that's widely recognized and incredibly liquid. It's the one good that, if you have a hundred of them, it's exactly worth a hundred of them. Rather than, um, like, you can combine it into many, and you can have just a few of them, and it's the same relative unit. Like, you can't just have. Uh, it, it's ubiquitous. It's it's fungible. Um, in the sa- in the sense that one unit is always equal to another unit. You know, like you could have a chicken and I could have a chicken. Your yours could be big, big, plump, and healthy. Mine can be starved and disgusted and diseased. Not the same chicken. Uh, but if you have one Bitcoin, I have one Bitcoin. We all we both have the exact same thing. We're both holding absolutely equal goods. Um, and that's the per- that's the role of money. And that's why only something with very strict Um, And very clear sets of characteristics can actually serve that role. And those characteristics are valuable in and of themselves. Uh, This is also something we got into with um, uh, uh, Bitcoin is not backed by nothing. Uh, Parker Lewis's episode that we just did a couple, I don't know, three, four episodes back um, in his Gradually Then Suddenly series. Another really great one if you haven't listened to it yet. Um, But these characteristics are incredibly rare. And they serve a critical role in the economy. They they, they serve the foundational role to incentivize and allow um, uh, allow reciprocation of cooperative actions. Um, there's a I think it's Richard Dawkins says in yeah, and this is in this is in Shelling Out, I think too. Um, but Richard Dawkins and I love this line. It's so cool um to see him. Uh, particularly from a completely different discipline and kind of way of looking at things, to actually describe what money is, is that it's a it's a token of delayed altruism. It is that I'm able to produce a thing today and not immediately take whatever consumptive thing that I want from you. You don't have to have it. You don't have to have the sandwich that I'm going to want tomorrow. You don't have to have the investment that I'm looking for, but I can still give you some sort of productive thing in exchange for just n- nothing more than a token that will allow me to get that altruism back, get that productivity back that I gave you at a later date from anyone else that shares our network. It's, it in- integrates or incentivizes and and allocates or organizes organizes cooperation on such a grand scale by having a a independent medium with which we can use as a token of that altruism as a token of those favors of those productive and valuable things that we are exchanging each other so that we can stretch this across time so that we don't have to have that Double coincidence of wants problem. We don't have to deal with that anymore. And we're not used to seeing a market for such a thing. Because usually when an economy finds something to fill that role, it just becomes so ubiquitous. It becomes so spread throughout the society, so much a fundamental part of everything that we do, we don't even know how we relate to it. It becomes invisible. But... So when, when we look at our economy, when we look at what happens over time with the value of our money, we see it decline. What, is, what does that tell us? Why, why does its value decline when we become more productive, when we save for the future? Why are we losing that value? Why is something that it, an action that is explicitly creating excess value for the economy being punished across time? What does it tell us about the imbalances and failure of our current monetary regime when, this is the, when it's the exact opposite of the natural expectation? You know, it's hard to calculate how much time is being stolen from us by a mechanism that confiscates so much wealth that everything we do, literally everything, becomes more expensive over time. When it comes to the, the relationship with the monetary good, that we do not have, we're completely, we're killing the value of our measuring stick. I, I love the analogy that I know we've gone over a ton of times in previous episodes, but of the rubber band measuring stick, of the, the measuring tape that's elastic, what the hell good does that do? Are you measuring the amount of stretch you have in your, uh, uh, in your measuring tape? Or are you measuring the length of the table? Which one? You have no idea. You have no reference point to actually determine the relationship between thing A and thing B in the amount of time savings or time value that it is giving to other people, whether it be in leisurely or entertainment value or uh, extra knowledge and perspective that they can apply to their life or their rules or the things that they do, um... And, uh or, or just something that saves them 10 seconds every single day. like what's that value in relation if you don't have something that is as scarce as time itself in order to measure against what it's giving someone and and, and that's what that's what we lose when we lose sound money And it's a it's twice it's so much more extraordinary in the level of confiscation that inflation is is orchestrating upon a society to think that the theft is hidden from us, that we're not aware of this. Um, it, well, at least collectively, like in a general sense, it's just completely in the background. But just just stealing, think about the awesome power of stealing five cent from everyone every single day. How it, And in completely invisible way, to control trillions of dollars in wealth, and that's what's happening. It's it's the ultimate thief. It's the most brilliant scheme of controlling value that is unearned, of literally being the invisible thief. I don't need to break into somebody's home and risk being killed. I don't need to be. Um, uh, I don't need to break into a bank and create this in- elaborate. Uh, a way to get into the bank vault and steal all the money. I don't need to execute a war and uh, uh, kill all these people and break into all these gold vaults and confiscate all this wealth from all these people. I, no, I can I can go into I can go into every single person's wallet and just take out a penny, just take out a nickel, and no one will even notice that I've done it. But I can do it to everyone in the entire network of the money that I control. There is no political power more potently corrupting than that sort of power. And and, and it is specifically because of the nature of money, the uh our bizarre relate actually, actually, this actually goes into um a quote. Hold on a second, I, I think I got another one here that I think that relates to this. Where is it? Um yes, okay, quote. Uh from the tyranny of time scarcity here. Consider how we think in dollars or in our local currency when deciding whether and how much to buy or sell of anything in the marketplace. Interestingly, this unit of account function of money is so deeply etched into our mental machinery that it actually changes how we think and perceive the world. So this is why this is a great example of why it's easy to hide. Um, because, when your fundamental measurement of, like, literally how you relate to the world around you, it's like one of those things somebody tells you it's three kilometers, and you're like, uh, or vice versa for whoever's listening to this. But in my example, it's like somebody tells me that's three kilometers, and I'm I'm going in my head and like, okay, how many miles is that? Like, like the kilometer doesn't doesn't express anything to me that I can relate to outside of the measurement I can relate to miles. So I translate it to miles. It's it's very, very much like a language. People think it's a lot of people simplify it into just a choice of picking one over the other. But one you end up you grow up having some sort of relation to like you these things become embedded in your mind and money is even more powerfully like that. Like when people ask how much Bitcoin is worth, it's like, what's its price in dollars? So this thing is literally a mental framework. And if you don't have if you don't have any concrete reference with which to compare it to, all I mean, all of our perception is based on relativity. So the the universe is based in relativity. So we have no idea how fast something is going. Unless we know how fast we are going, it is only in comparison to us that we can get any sense of what's going on. If I'm traveling at a thousand miles an hour in space, right next to something traveling something else traveling a thousand miles uh, an hour, we have no. I have no idea. I have no idea which direction I'm going, where I'm going. It's all relative. Money works. That's this exact same way. That's why the number of units is arbitrary. Twenty-one million. It could be twenty-one trillion. I mean, technically, it's two point like. Uh, zero nine 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 quadrillion that we read in uh yesterday's uh, bitcoin's eternal struggle um uh, that many satoshis or whatever like the the unit is completely arbitrary it's in relation to how many goods or how much productivity and available time savings literally that's what all these goods and consumables and uh, machines and all this stuff is doing is to get us to do more to to, to beat the test of time to to take the tyrant and defeat its most powerful weapon against us I mean think about like today with a computer with a machine with with a tractor like the the number of things where we can produce thousands of times as much output in a matter of seconds that would that may have taken a day it may have taken weeks it may have been completely impossible two hundred years ago just. Think about what what you or I can accomplish just sitting with the the crap around us right now, that would literally be impossible, it, that just be unfathomable. But would take so much work, would take so much communication, so many movings of paper or writing or copies of things like two hundred years ago. Like imagine the vast amount of difference between then and now. That's because we have a way to measure. And trade and exchange that value to understand what that value is and communicate it. It's a communication mechanism. And to uh, manipulate that metric is to destroy the definitions of words so that we miscommunicate. That, that's, that's an analogy of what you're actually doing on the economic level. You're, you're destroying the information that is actually being uh, transmitted with the price, with the monetary instrument. And because it is so ingrained as a reference point for, okay, well, this is $20. That's a little bit more than I would like to pay for this coffee. Uh, I'm expecting a $4 coffee or a $5 coffee if I'm putting a bunch of sugary crap in it. Um, (laughs) But because that's our reference, I mean, think think about just in the time it takes... To realize that that metric is changing to realize that that value isn't staying consistent i mean how easy would it be to realize if if it if over a period of a year you were now spending twice as long like twice the amount of time and it just happened incrementally um in order to do some specific task or or get some specific thing you know whatever it is like whether it's a coffee if it went from five to ten dollars and it happened slowly whereas it's just like 5 33 one day and it five forty nine uh you know a couple days later, and it just happened. How long would it take for you to realize that, like, shit, wasn't this just five dollars a little while ago? And you know if it's what if it's only ten percent longer? What, what if it only expands like that? would you would you have any idea? Would you really, really notice it? It's such a sneaky thing to steal just a tiny amount from everyone. It is truly the most clever of thieves oh oh man we uh, this is gonna be this is gonna be a while all right i gotta get through this quickly um uh let's jump on to the next quote here um so he talks about like uh bitcoin excuse me the internet being this this tool for distributed information uh while uh money and like uh scarce like gold is a uh a mechanism or a tool for distributing time um distributing time savings essentially but but really distributing time in and of itself because what money does is save time like, like the reason you exchange that value you exchange that money with someone else is to get something that might take you months and months and months but you get to exchange the months you spent on something entirely different in order to get that same amount of value from someone else um so like you know person a spends a month building or designing or constructing, engineering a TV. And I spend uh, a month, uh, I don't know, doing this podcast and uh, getting these ideas out to everybody and explaining how this crap works and why it works and you know, why we should invest in something that will propel our future, propel us into the future rather than keep us locked in the past. Something that I hope will save us an enormous amount of time and and get us to this more efficient technology as quickly as possible so now now i exchange my use of the, through the division of labor and through the tool that is money i can get i can save myself a month of making a tv by doing a month of something entirely different that is of equal value that is uh, hopefully if i can figure out how to price this thing is of uh, that amount of value so with those two things combined, with the, the role that gold played, which got, sound money plays in um, uh, uh, organizing time savings, and then the role that the internet plays in organizing and distributing uh, information uh, across you know all borders and in a decentralized fashion, that combining, a uh, quote, combining and building upon the economic properties of both, Bitcoin is a momentous monetary innovation that has achieved the divisibility of, portability durability and recognizability of pure information infused with the absolute scarcity of time end quote so those other characteristics of money the divisibility the portability the durability and the recognizability is so profoundly easier in the abstract is that like it's so easy to test to be like oh you have a picture all right well I have this same picture, and we can easily compare. Information has, just naturally, has all of those characteristics. Um, and, and in doing so with uh, a system or network like the Internet, we have the ability to so easily transmit and um, recreate exactly those sorts of things, to, to recreate those characteristics very easily. But the drawback, the, the, the nature of the information itself that gives it all of these great characteristics that are useful for money negates the one critical characteristic of money and value and in in the same sense the the critical characteristic of time that allows us to actually use it as a measure scarcity scarcity did never like never existed in the digital world there was no way to prove that something couldn't that there's no way to copy a thing and not have another v- Another of it. And Bitcoin is that first thing. It's, it's, that's what the invention of is, or that's what the innovation is itself. It is of scarcity in the digital realm. And I think one of my favorite um, uh, pieces on that, that goes into that is uh, Knut's Von Holmes, actually. Sovereignty Through Mathematics. His his section on scarcity and some of the comments. His and Parker Lewis, actually, are probably, I have the two like little like ideas and like snippets, I guess you could say, like little quotes from their pieces that just really hit that idea home. Um, Bitcoin Can't Be Copied uh, has one. I, I'm not going to be able to remember the one from Svon Holmes uh, right off the top of my head, but I, I do remember the one that Parker Lewis did um, was that you can't simply copy Bitcoin and make a new money because resistance to replicability is the invention. Um, And that's that's just a simple way to put it, that all of the other stuff is frivolous. All of those other characteristics the internet and information in general already had, the one thing that they didn't have was the absolute scarcity, was the ability to be sound money. Obviously, if all it took was divisibility, portability, durability, fungibility, and recognizability, all the other attributes of money to be a good money, well, then we'd have done this a long time ago. But instead, they obviously all hinge on the fact that it has to be scarce because value hinges on scarcity. If something is it's basic supply and demand, if something is in infinite supply, there is no demand. And Bitcoin is a, a, a momentous monetary innovation. And this is one of those things about Bitcoin that is lost on almost everyone, even people who've been in this space and have used Bitcoin for years. There's a value... So many people are just like, oh, it's a payments network. It's got to have all this, this, that, and the other. There's a value proposition here that is unique among all others. Understand, we money is a good unto itself. It is one of the most useful, powerful, and misunderstood goods in the entire economy. It, it, because it's so ubiquitous that when it works, it isn't even thought of. It's not thought of as a good. It is it is the reference point for everything else. So it's it's so hard to grasp what the value of a monetary technology is, is because it's how we value everything else. It is only it, it's our it's our totem to ask what something else is worth. So I, I tried I've been trying to come up with an analogy and I'm failing. At it, um, I I wrote down like a couple of thoughts, but I I wanted to like it's like asking how many feet a meter is. It's like the the example I just used was the somebody tells me kilometers, I'm like, all right, how many miles? Um, but that really kind of seems trivial because it's still very, very different in character. Like the existence of a meter doesn't make the foot no longer exist. The the because you're using kilometers doesn't make the miles non-exist. It's They don't have a relationship with each other outside of just who's referencing what. So it's like... Uh, it's like trying to build a house with the exact same 10 boards, but like you you build like one corner, and then you start moving those boards to the next pieces to keep adding on, and I'm thinking that I'm making progress, but there's nothing... I've still just got 10 boards of a house just in continually different locations like that doesn't work either how do i explain this 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 is such a hard concept of why one thing is taking from another like because as soon as if bitcoin becomes worth 10 trillion dollars then we're gonna we're gonna want to think oh that's ten trillion dollars in value and we know what the value of a dollar is but the reality is is that that's ten trillion dollars that is the that that the dollar is worth less of so so it's only it's like you've got two cups of water the water is um or you've got like a like a tank of water and one side's got no water in it and one side's full is that the, the water doesn't actually change. The amount of water doesn't actually change. It just flows from one to the other. So when it looks like Bitcoin's worth $10 trillion, what's happened is that the value of the dollar has fallen. That's why, that's why people post those charts of like, this is the value of dollars in Bitcoin. Because these monetary goods, there's never been a market for in any of our lifetimes to, for any meaningful sense. There's never been a market for money. Money has been a completely monopolized central bank run government dictated thing, so it's very difficult to think in terms of money as something that would compete on the market that's That's why people don't think it's like oh well, it doesn't have it doesn't have any intrinsic value. It doesn't have any utility. What would you use Bitcoin for? Money? Money. You would use it for money. It is the most valuable good in the economy. It's a brilliant money. Money is a good unto itself. It's like saying, well, it's just a piece of software. What would you use a piece of software for? Anything that you could do with software. That's what you would use it for. And, and in that same sense, like Bitcoin, sound money is a way to store and secure your time. It is a token of reciprocal altruism. It's an unbelievable coordination mechanism. And I understand that all the people in the world have no idea, like the vast majority of people don't realize that there is actually competition between these things because when it becomes so ubiquitous, it is just their measuring stick for thinking about anything. But for the first time, we have to think about what it's like when monies compete and and really compete on an open market. like Not like, oh, this jurisdiction is... You know, valued against this jurisdiction, there's a a very different dynamic than an actual market, a free market that can uh, basically value a currency irrespective of the the subjective jurisdictions. What we have basically with our uh, with fiat currencies is some degree of comparing of of a comparative value between the really the fear invoked by one government versus another in a sense is that like if I'm living within the United States, I'm more worried about using the United States and the, the staying power of the United States dollar. And the, the the United States is uh, the government, that government is my, is the one that is most relevant to me and my life. It is the one that if something happens, they're the one that's going to come knocking on my door. I'm not really worried about Canada or what the U.K. is up to. Um, and it's also not a system that I was born into. You know, I have already have the metric of the dollar embedded in my brain. Um, and like I said, we've never seen a market that doesn't have these jurisdictions. We've never seen a global market for money. And to get to watch, to, to get to see sound money compete, really for the first time in maybe over 100 years, We've created that Satoshi and the the community and all all these this this incredible process over the last eleven years has created a decentralized, independent monetary system, is such a game changer. Like like okay maybe maybe Satoshi was trying to invent peer to peer digital cash, but what he actually did he accidentally reinvented. Sound money for the digital age. And cash isn't cash without sound money. He had to secure the monetary policy first. And that's the system that was built. That's the unbelievable value of this system that is independent of anything else. The thing is worth tens of trillions of dollars in comparative measure of dollars, literally without changing a thing, just in the the continued maturation, and expansion of what we already have, if it continues to hold true that you cannot change its monetary policy, Bitcoin is unbelievably valuable as nothing more than a foundational monetary good, regardless of how many transactions we can fit into the thing. I can't think of There isn't, there isn't. There's nothing that has the potential to influence, to to present more change in the world than exactly this sort of technology. Money is, nothing moves without touching money. Like, it's literally, it's the gravity to the plane, it's the ocean to the fish, to change money in such a profound, like, a new paradigm of this technology. This is not like putting a new, Color or um, some other douchebag's face on a dollar bill. This is fundamentally changing how it's created, how it's governed, how it secures its independence. Everything, every major element of what designed money in the past is forever changed now that Bitcoin exists. This is this is why I have the problem with I can't I can't go off and do anything else. Um, is that. Like, like anything that I do, I'm like, all right, so how many people is this affecting? How many people are getting some sort of value out of this? Uh, how many people am I saving time or um, uh, explaining something to? Like, like what? what's the difference? What's the influence that I'm having on the rest of the world? And something, something as seemingly simple as just talking about Bitcoin every day, I feel as... I don't know how to be more influential. I don't know how to be more productive. Maybe the only other thing would be to develop Bitcoin tools and software. But I feel like this is a much lower barrier for me to actually accomplish this and uh, than it is to and just you know be a translator of ideas than it would be for me to go through all the nightmare and headache of trying to learn to code, which would take a very, very long time for me to get really good at it. And I, you know I'm making baby steps here and there. I can do I can write a script and you know some other cheap garbage um but uh I feel like this is a much better use of my time at this stage and I'll just keep etching away at that slowly over time um I, that is a, that is a end goal that like I can put together a piece of software or app interface or something um but the 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 analogy maybe um uh, what would be a good one to explain why it's like if I went off and just did anything else, it would just be like, what the hell am I doing here? Why, why, am, I, why am I wasting time on something less important? Um, it's like... like and the, the effects of inflation are so poisonous like, and invisible. Like, it's so important to call attention to this, for people to actually understand this. It's like... Imagine... I don't know. Imagine, imagine we had no way to measure the brightness of the sun... Of the sun, um, or maybe 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 we just compare it to how dark it is, um, at night, and so like you know if if the sun got a little bit darker, uh, well then so the night would get a little bit darker too because you know the reflection off the moon is darker and we wouldn't actually be able to see because like our measuring stick is changing with, uh, what we're actually trying to measure, um, but then the Earth starts to drift out of orbit. It starts to drift away from the sun really slowly. so nobody nobody really sees it. We don't have any idea we're not we're not measuring. We're trying to you know measure all this crap from the brightness of the sun, and nobody sees that this is happening. But let's start to have a few unexpected problems. Just a couple. you know it pisses some people off is some added stress that we weren't expecting or some unexpected weather event or maybe a couple of crops fail, you know, for a couple of years. Starts putting extra pressure on the economy, on the value of these things. The price of food starts to rise a little bit. Insurance companies are not as sound as they were. They're having to pay out a lot more, and it's putting a lot of work on a lot of people. You know, everything adjusts upward just a little bit, a little bit harder, a little bit, um, uh, a little bit more painful, a little bit more tension. Uh, and it, but this continues. This continues for years and years. But even though things are getting worse in some ways. We're still, we still have a thriving market. We still have, um, you know, we're still finding better ways to, to hustle. We're, we're inventing new crops and, uh, you know, genetic, genetically engineering to the, grow them faster and more lush and, you know, healthier fruit and all this garbage. So despite the fact that, you know, tensions might be rising, we're still pulling through. We're still making progress you know like it's like the number of homeless on the street corners like seems to be growing going up prices of food still in spite of all of this it seems like oh we got five percent more productive this year but still the price of food went up what the hell what's 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 going on what are we what are we missing here um and you know we we love to go out and eat but it seems like we're doing it half as often because it's just so damn expensive to go out and eat these days um and then then a couple of Big problems show up. A couple of really big... We're already kind of teetering on the edge, and it was like we felt like we were just barely getting by. But then one of those, like, every 50 years sort of disasters happens. And, you know, you know it's always going to happen. It's eventually going to happen, whether it's the, that Category 5 hurricane that just plows through the whole freaking country or uh, earthquake. Whatever it is, just those big disasters that, that are inevitable... But usually we're a little bit better prepared. But instead tensions are high. We're already running thin. We already we already have debts that we were unsure if we could pay back. And now the recovery from this disaster takes five times as long. Some parts of the city stay mangled or uh, like whole whole towns just kind of get abandoned because it was too expensive to repair. Um the practically our whole society starts to deteriorate and we can't even recover from things that we should have been able to expect that we should have been able to bounce back from all because this one slow thing has been eating at us for years and we've not seen that it's happening so there's all these other great things that you could do there's all these amazing things that we could spend our time doing you know making uh you know repairing some of this damage uh, tensions are awful. Everything, everybody's blaming each everything on the other guy. Nobody really knows what the hell is wrong in this in this society because we don't have a good measuring stick to figure out what the hell is happening. It's just like everything is getting suckier a little bit, and we're all we're all arguing more. We're all a little bit hungrier. We're all a little more exhausted, and everybody feels like they're spinning their wheels and not getting anywhere. It's like we're working our asses off just to get back to where we started. We're losing something and we don't know where. And I could, there's all these other things that we could work on. We could grow the plants faster. We could design them better. We could come up with uh, better mechanisms. We could do it with artificial light um, and grow them faster indoors. We could come up with better communication mechanisms. We can do all of these things. But, this, this, this is where we are now as a society. We're working on all of these things but we're we're missing the fact that we're drifting away from the sun that all of these problems result from one fundamental thing that is poisoning everything else that we do and suddenly somebody figures out how to push us back into orbit how to get us back closer to the sun that if we all started doing this we could solve all the problems well not not solve all the problems but we could Work to move all of those problems back in the right direction, to benefit everything at once, to lower the tensions, to remove the debts that are weighing us down, to increase the productivity of food production without inventing anything different in, 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 as far as food goes, to prevent the next completely pointless and never-ending war with just one solution. You can work to fix and push all of the other problems in the right direction. Even problems that may seem unrelated, they just get easier to deal with because we've solved so many other things. That's what I feel like Bitcoin is in the world. It's the it's pushing the earth back into orbit because when it comes to monetary soundness, when it comes to economic reality, we have lost our way and it's... It's it, it's in where you would expect it to. It's in socialist money. um, and, and most people don't think of it this way, but it's absolutely true. There's no better example. Like, the one thing that is absolutely 100% undeniably socialist in our economy is money. And, of course, it's a complete and utter failure because centrally controlled things cannot account, particularly when you're talking about economic systems, that has no way to account for prices it has it, it completely obliterates the phenomenal tool that the price mechanism actually is and without competition of money you don't have sound money without sound money you have no way to govern to trade and value our scarce time and this is such a great piece that like really goes into these concepts um uh and i'll just end with uh uh, I don't know where the hell that rant just went. <laughs> um. But uh, I'll end with uh, one last quote here. Uh, is, Abstractly, money is our metaphor for time. As a tool, it best serves mankind when its supply is as inelastic as the absolute scarcity of time. This is a, this is a concept that he's hit so many times. This is what the whole paper is about, basically. But... This is where the recognition of what occurs when one delays their consumption makes it clear why it would naturally both create an increase in the purchasing power of the person who is saved and should lead to an increase in the purchasing power. Because if, if we're referencing, if we measure all of this in a sense of time, to give up consuming today... at at your expense of consuming two weeks from now, cost you two weeks of whatever that savings was going to be, whatever that entertainment was, whatever that uh, productive increase was going to be, whatever that added efficiency or less of a nuisance or whatever that 10 seconds was going to be saved by that product or the service or the software that you were going to consume. By saving instead, you have sacrificed that time to leave those productive goods inside the economy for someone else. If you save money for a year while producing goods and value into the economy, you are the one that is allowing the economy to have excess resources so that it can become more productive. It's the only way for an economy to become more productive is to have excess capital with which to lean on while we innovate and iterate on our processes, on our, our our systems, on improving our production capacities and all of these other things that without the excess capital, we wouldn't have the time or the resources to shut everything down, update it, and boot it all back up again. It is explicitly the savers in the economy, those who hold the non-consumable good of money in exchange for the future promise that it's going to give them something back, that they're going to be able to consume for the cost of their time. It's doing favors now and letting those favors increase the productivity, the happiness, the clarity, the knowledge, etc. of everyone else in the economy while not taking back your earned share of the value that you produced. Money doesn't give you anything. You can't... Build a nice house out of money. You have to spend it. You have to exchange it for someone else's work to to turn it into a house. The money itself is completely useless outside of its role in storing and exchanging the value. By saving money, you increase the purchasing power of everyone else in the economy and you have given time to someone else in exchange for delaying your own earned consumption obviously there should be a natural incentive for this and this is this is why you know the risk the higher risk of loaning it to someone or giving it to a bank would get an interest payment but it's equally ethical and expected that one should benefit in value from the increased productivity if the economy has gotten uh, more productive, by the use of the purchasing power that was not consumed by the producer, i.e. saved in money. If I leave $100 worth of some productive value in the economy by just holding the money rather than consuming all the sandwiches or the machine or the computer or whatever it was that I'm leaving in that $100 worth of value, if I leave it in the economy so that the economy can use it all the other people who need it can use it to become more productive and the economy gets 1% more productive well then that $100 delay of, of $100 of uh delayed consumption should share 1% in that extra productivity the purchasing power would increase by 1% this is this is what sound money naturally does in the only possible unbiased way imaginable by by factoring in the direct skin in the game choices of every other action in the economy. That price, that section on price. If, uh, uh, if you guys haven't listened to it, if anybody's here and hasn't listened to the many discussions we've had on the price system, highly, highly encourage you to go back. It's one of the most fascinating concepts I think in all of economics. Is how much uh, what's uh, the use of knowledge in society by Hoppe, I believe. Um, uh, we've read it on the show as we did it in two parts. Um, maybe this one should be released. Actually, I should probably reboot that one at some point, but, um, uh, uh, that one was uh, read in two parts and I might be releasing it as its own single piece. Uh, but it's, it's a brilliant piece. Just talking about how much information it really expands on that one section that he has, uh, that Breedlove has in here on how much information is actually allocated for is actually translated for in the price um and and the analogy of the the copper industry of the um uh, or the example really the the real world example of copper going up six percent in price because of some disaster in chile and and it coordinating it it changes the decisions and actions of people all over the world in every industry that touches it without any of them having to have any idea how much, or or, or, excuse me, what happened, what exactly exactly were the details. All the important information is already in the price, and they need to make up 6% somewhere. What they need to do is exactly adjust for the amount of additional scarcity that copper now has. The miners need to produce 6% more. The consumers need to consume 6% less. They need to find alternatives. They need to use aluminum where they can use aluminum. They need to use tin or zinc or whatever other metal that can uh, satisfy the need in the meantime or change their alloy a little bit. Um, like they, they need to seek out alternatives because copper is scarce. And what an, a shocking mechanism of coordination that is that no one is controlling. It is, it is an amalgamation. It's a, the, and the price adjusts when everybody else adjusts their actions the price goes back to normal even though the supply hasn't changed or the supply hasn't even been fixed necessarily we we adjust the demand for alternatives we all of these actions move to get us back to equilibrium as fast as possible because equilibrium is where things are most productive where we have the most time savings the most prosperity and it is explicitly in the price mechanism that can adjust for all of this information at the same time in aggregate you will never get a committee of politicians to figure out how to account and figure out all of this information they will have to use a pricing mechanism and then any action they enforce from a political authority standpoint then destroys the ability for that pricing mechanism to actually give us any information but anyway going how do i get into another rant um going back to uh the use of knowledge in society again i think it's by Hoppa. i don't i don't remember i'm not gonna look it up right now um but i'll link to it in the show notes and uh, uh correct it in the twitter post if i'm wrong um but a really really brilliant piece that just crazy elaborates on all the amazing uh all the things that the price system can actually account for all in the goal of uh, this wonderful piece by Breedlove in allocating and uh, translating time savings between one person and another to create this incredible mechanism of cooperation where we can all share in each other's productivity and, uh, and we don't have to alone stand against the tyranny of time, but that we can all share in this insane fight to the most scarce asset that we have available to us and money is that one tool that can do that and we are seeing it change on a scale of meaningfulness of uh uh, how it actually comes about that it may be on the on the order of millennia in its significance and that's why I, re- I really love this piece, um, this another one of the concepts. And I know we've hit a lot on this show, but it's just so much fun to keep going over. And I end up, holy shit, I'm at 52 minutes in my rant. I hope you guys are still here. Uh, we'll just close this one out. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Again, this was The Tyranny of Time Scarcity by Robert Breedlove. Um, and this is continuing through the Bitcoin Times second edition, uh, another of the many great works, uh, and we've still got tons to cover here, uh, so more to come. Don't forget to subscribe to, well, Timeless Bitcoin uh, on Twitter. Make sure you follow them. Make sure you follow Breedlove at Breedlove something, 22, I think. Uh, I'll have that tag in the show notes and, of course, in the Twitter post. Um, and, uh, and of course, don't forget to subscribe to The Crypto Economy with Guy Swan, where you're going to hear about all the amazing stuff that is sending us to this future that is going to put the Earth back in orbit around the sun and correct so many problems that stem from the this this poisonous thing called inflation and central banking that has been eating away at our productivity. that has been eating away at our ability to translate and share the, the time that we have between us. Um, we're going to get it back and it, it could not be more exciting that that potential exists. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I don't know what the hell else to do with my time. I am guy Swan. Thank you so much for joining me. If you want to support the show, if you want to support what I do, um, Uh, there's a number of things you can do first you can go to patreon.com slash the crypto economy and become a patron Uh, as little as one dollar a month will get you well you'll become a patron but you also get access to the crypto economy crew telegram Uh, we talk about all kinds of stuff in there all about bitcoin about the crypto economy and uh, some really weird and bizarre stuff in there too so if you would like to join in with uh, us weirdos and nerds, and uh, also would like to support the show. That's a great way to do it, um, at patreoncom slash economy. Um, but otherwise, the two ways you can always support this show is share it out with everybody you know in the Bitcoin and crypto economy space, so they too can get all of the best works in Bitcoin read aloud to them, and commentated and expanded on by rant by yours truly, Guy Swan and uh, And also, uh, send me some suggestions. I've been getting a lot of people um shooting me links, and I have found, uh, really, in the last month, uh, at least seven or eight really good articles that I would I might not have bumped into otherwise. Um and I'm, I'm finding the crypto economy crew to be a really good resource for that. So, uh, a thank you to all of those guys and uh, don't forget you know, shoot me a DM if you find something really good that you're like why isn't anybody talking about this piece I'd love to read it um, add it to my list uh, thanks so much guys I love you and I will be back here hopefully tomorrow depending on how long it takes me to get this next one out but until then take it easy guys